Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Did you notice I shaved my beard? Yeah, I don't have any beard anymore, right? You can tell it's springtime, all right? I wasn't going to call attention to it, but you know, if you just call attention to it and go ahead and get it out there, then it's not a distraction, right? So, hey, it's so great to see you all this morning, and thank you for joining us for our series. We're calling The Four Witnesses, and as Heather just set up very nicely, the idea of Luke taking all these testimonies and putting them together in one great story. In fact, Luke is probably the most prolific writer in the New Testament. And I just discovered this this past week as I was preparing the message. Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. Paul wrote a whole bunch of little tiny letters and some of them were big letters. And if you put all the words together, Luke, between Luke, the gospel and the Acts account, Acts of the Apostles, he actually wrote the majority of the New Testament. So this is a guy that had a lot to say. Before we dive into the scripture together this morning, we're going to release our kids to go with our Kid Street staff in the back of the room. They are waving good morning. You guys have a great time. This is for four to 10 year olds as we are continuing in hopefully the final phase of the quarantine and coronavirus lockdowns. We're having a shorter Kid Street experience that's targeted toward four to 10 year olds. Or if your kids would like to stay with you in worship, they can certainly do that here as well. You guys have a good time back there. And as we talked about Luke and the gospel of Luke and what Luke was trying to accomplish, Heather talked about the idea of Luke interviewing a bunch of different people who'd had experience directly with Jesus. So this is the story of Luke the doctor who became Luke the journalist. And in fact, as he was interviewing people, his main source was Paul, the apostle, the guy who, you know, for all intents and purposes, wrote the majority of the New Testament that we would probably be familiar with. Paul wrote to the Romans, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, the Galatians, the Philippians, and you might recognize the names of those letters. But Luke captured the person of Paul in the way he went about his ministry. And he exemplified in writing what it was like to be involved in the life of Jesus. So what we're going to explore today is Luke's reasons for writing his letter and the way it can have an impact on our life as we study his books. Now, let's take a pop quiz really quick just to see if you're awake this morning. What two books of the Bible did Luke the Apostle write? Go ahead and shout it out. He wrote Luke and Acts of the Apostles. That's exactly right. And both of those letters are long and involved with really great Greek language in it. Let me share with you the very beginning of Luke's gospel. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So these were people who were following Jesus around, copying him and learning about the life that he's brought to us here. Even before he went to the cross and rose again from the grave, Jesus went around doing the stuff of the kingdom. So that's our focus today. Luke is a journalist who is capturing Jesus being about the stuff of the kingdom. In fact, as he was partnering with the apostle Paul and trying to capture the life of Paul, as Paul followed Jesus, Luke was hoping to capture what the point of following Jesus was. And he did that so beautifully. In fact, as Luke goes on in his letter, he says, with this in mind, 
He says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, the beginning of Jesus' story, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. And he calls out the name of the person he wrote the letter to. Most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, if you break that down into the Greek, it means friend of God. And so we don't really know if Theophilus was a real person or not, or if Theophilus was code language for a follower of Jesus who was hiding in the underground, escaping persecution. See, by the time Luke wrote his letters, Christians were persecuted in the open. This would have been the time that Nero would have used Christians doused in oil to light the, uh, the, the entryways and the gardens and the different places inside Rome. He would put Christians up on pedestals, tie them back, douse them with oil, and light them on fire. He would put Christians, men, women, and children into what was called the circus, the Colosseum for lions to devour. This was really, really horrible times for Christians. And so when Luke is writing, he's writing what we think might be code speak for followers of Jesus. Pay attention to the things that Jesus is doing because the persecutions you, my friend, are facing in these current times, the times of Emperor Nero, are worth it. You following Jesus in times of persecution, difficulty, and doubt, they are worth it. And I'm going to demonstrate to you what it is to follow Jesus even in times of difficulty. In fact, Luke was right there with Paul as Paul was enduring imprisonment, writing his letters, all these letters that were a part of the testimony that we now call the New Testament. What we're going to explore today, what we're going to explore today in Luke's testimony as he's gathering all these different accounts and writing them in his letter are three aspects of Jesus's ministry and the three main reasons why God has called us to follow Jesus even in times of difficulty and challenge. Now, the first one is humanity. And what you'll find right inside Luke's gospel is an explanation of how Jesus is fully human. Now, I want to describe Jesus in current terms. I don't like to say Jesus was this because I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the grave, walked around, ate fish, did other stuff that the disciples were doing. And then after 40 days, he did what? He ascended into heaven. And to this day, right now, as you're sitting here with me, listening to me, Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, interceding for you and me. He lives. Jesus is alive. So we talk about Jesus is alive and he is with us and he is fully human. Jesus is the one person on earth who defied math. Now, let me ask you a question. If you take a being that's 100% God and 100% human, how many percentage points does that add up to? Well, you know, if you're in third grade math, it might be 200%, right? But it's actually 100% Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. And it's not supposed to. Because Jesus is all God and all human. So we celebrate Jesus' humanity in Luke like this. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, or so they thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And this is also, this name Heli is also Eli. But what's interesting about this is that 
this, this son that's being talked about here, son of Heli, Joseph's father was actually named Jacob, not Heli. It was Mary's father who was named Heli or Eli. But because women were not allowed in the genealogies of the time to record family history, the son of Heli rendered as Joseph. Now, it's not a contradiction. It's not an untruth. In fact, the son-in-law of Heli was this person, Joseph, the father, or so it was thought, of Jesus. But what's interesting about this is that even as Luke records meticulously the human origin of the person Jesus, he wants us to understand that Jesus is as much human as he is God. And in fact, there's no better evidence of this than the Christmas story. Now, I'm not talking about that Christmas story, even though there's a lot of humanity in that Christmas story, right? I'm talking about the Christmas story where Joseph and Mary bring a baby Jesus into the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the baby Jesus a real baby or was that a figment of all of our imaginations? It was a real baby, wasn't he? And he grew up to become a real man who still lives eternally to this day. So Jesus is 100% human and 100% what? God. And you can see this spelled out in meticulous detail in Luke's gospel. Even as you start looking at the genealogy and trace back over so many generations, all the generations, seven sevens of generations, back to the beginning of people, now Jesus brought human into the world. The second is this, Jesus is divinity. Now we already talked about the math. Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. You add those together, you get 100% Jesus, right? It doesn't make sense in math, but it makes sense in Jesus' terms. And the idea is this, as we read a little bit earlier, Luke chapter four says this of Jesus' ministry. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. The human Jesus was brought up, fully God and fully person, right? And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, as Jesus read that scripture back then, what he was doing is he was engaging in the life of the church. That's why when you come to worship or you see worship online, but when you come especially to worship in person, somebody is going to read the scripture. And the reason we do that is because people of faith have been doing that for generations, for hundreds and even thousands of years. This is something that we will continue to do until Jesus comes back. We'll read the scripture and what we'll do in that is give God an opportunity to speak to you and to me. That's ultimately what the scripture is. It's God speaking to you in the seat that you occupy. It is God having his voice speak into your life where you sit. 
And the reason that happens in community with other people like this is because the change that happens inside you when God speaks to you in a language you can understand is meant to happen in the community, in the family, and lift and build the entire group up. That's why we read the scripture. God speaks and all the ships rise with the rising tide. So here's Jesus calling out four different groups of people. I just wanna put this in front of you. He called out the poor. He called out people who are both poor physically and people who are poor in spirit. He called out people who are prisoners, people who are physical prisoners and in jail, just like his friend Paul was. And he's also calling out people who are in spiritual prison who are locked up inside, dead inside and afraid to receive the good news of God because something happened in their past or they had difficulty with the concept of God being just and merciful or they just don't believe this person Jesus is real. And so inside they are bound up and in jail. Jesus came for all of us like that. In the same way, Jesus came for the blind, not only for people who are physically blind and cannot physically see, but for those of us who cannot see the plan of God and how that brings us into his plan. We are brought into the plan of God. So my story literally becomes part of God's story. I may not be able to see that because of the circumstances in front of me, but the story exists nonetheless. And Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, not only the physically blind, but those who cannot see him at work. And then lastly, Jesus frees the oppressed. Those who even at the time of Luke, who were oppressed by Nero and the Romans, he would not free them physically at that time as they were expecting, but he would free them how? Spiritually. So that even if they were captured, doused in oil and lit up to light Nero's gardens, They were free and they would always be cared for by their God. Whether their body survived the lion's attack in the Colosseum or not, they were free so they didn't have to be afraid. It's the same for you and me, my friend. If you are poor in spirit, if you are held captive by some thought that keeps you from God, if you are blind to God's plan and his love for you, And if you are oppressed by the circumstances in the world around you and yet don't yet experience what it's like to be free in spite of them, then Jesus has come for you. And Luke would share the full power of Jesus coming for you and what that looks like. So there is a spiritual rendering of what it's like to be poor, a prisoner, blind and oppressed. There's a physical rendering of what it's like to be poor, a prisoner, blind and oppressed. And in the same house, Jesus both rules and serves. He saves and inspires. He forgives and ignites. He gives life where there was death. He brings light where there was darkness. He opens the eyes so that we can see and in fact, Jesus not only allowed his, his disciples and his apostles to teach about this, but he gave them a visual image to teach from. 
Jesus actually bending down and lifting up the oppressed and the blind by spitting in the mud and placing that mixture on their eyes, telling them to go and wash and then receive their sight for the first time. It's just like when you and I first heard, Jesus came for you, my friend. Jesus came for you. Yeah, he came for the person to your right, the person to your left. Jesus came for you too. All of who you are is what Jesus came for. So if you qualify as poor, as blind, as a prisoner, as oppressed, in any way, shape, or form, Jesus has come for you. And this ultimately was his destiny to go to the cross. And this is what Luke wanted to capture in graphic detail in his letter. And as he did that, Jesus would declare himself that Messiah who was going to go to the cross and suffer all the things that he did as a part of his destiny. In fact, Luke records this in chapter four, verse 20. He says that Jesus rolled up that scroll. He closed the Bible. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. In that moment, Luke records, Jesus began by saying to them this incendiary thing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the religious elites didn't like to hear that. And in fact, they pushed the Messiah to the edge of a cliff, just like this one in the Holy Land. And the scripture says they were about to throw him over. But then the scripture says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what did Jesus do? He didn't fall over. He didn't jump off. He simply walked through the crowd. Free. You see, Jesus is free of his chains. Jesus is free of the grave. And all Jesus is about is freeing people from the grave, freeing people from their chains, opening their eyes when they're blind, freeing them from the jail of their life on the inside. So they may be free indeed, the scripture says. In fact, even people came to Jesus as he was hanging on the cross and said something very important and something very special that fulfilled the prophecy. As Jesus escaped through the crowd, he was heard saying, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal thyself. Now imagine Luke being a doctor, hearing Jesus say these words from the Proverbs. Physician. In that moment, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to Luke, isn't he? And he's talking to you and me today. Jesus is the one who was taunted with these words. Physician, heal thyself. And in fact, he even observed and heard these words from the cross where people taunted him and said, he healed others. Let him do what? Heal himself. But Jesus demonstrated this, even as he ran out of the grave, that his mission on earth was not to come and serve himself. It was not to be served, but to serve. And so he went to the cross and rose again and chose a doctor to become a journalist, to record the stories, to put them out to the world so that you and I might be free.
In fact, when Jesus came back from the dead, he met with his disciples once more and he did a very special thing. The scripture says this in Luke 24, starting in verse 45. Luke says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now listen to this, my friend. This is why we read the scriptures in church because God gives us the ability to hear his voice. It doesn't matter how much of the scriptures you've studied. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have in theology. It doesn't matter whether you've studied Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew. All that matters is that you are in the hearing of God's word and his Holy Spirit pours itself out on you and opens your mind and your heart so you can hear what? The voice of God. So that's Luke, hearing in this proverb, physician. Luke is hearing, physician, heal thyself. Taunted to Jesus while he's on the cross. And Luke as a physician will know that Jesus is the one who died for him, who chose not to heal himself, but to heal Luke instead, and then conquer death and rise from the cross anyway. Jesus told them this. He said, this is what is written in the scripture that we are able to understand by God's power. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to how many people? All nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And then Jesus said these most important words, and you and I are in this group. He said this, you are witnesses of these things. Even if you and I didn't meet Jesus face to face the way the original disciples did, we meet Jesus face to face through the writings and through the scriptures of those who did meet him face to face. And in doing so, we meet Jesus. Guess what? People all around you in your life who need to meet Jesus, they're gonna meet Jesus through you in the same way. Hear this again. Through the word of God in you and through you, people will meet Jesus for the first time. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you are a witness of these things? Because you are, even if you believe it or not. And God intends to prove it to you through every waking moment you spend with him, saturated by his word, listening to his story, and realizing that you are in that story. You're a part of that story. And in fact, you're a big part. You become just as much a witness as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for making me a witness to the things of Jesus. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to be a part of your story. And thank you for the fact that you brought me into your story through faith in Jesus Christ. God, this is why we come and hear the word. This is why we gather, is so you can fill us up with who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We've been brought into your family and into your life through faith. And we thank you so much for the opportunity 
to follow you each day in faith so that we not only might be saved, but that others around us might know what it's like to know you and follow you as well. So we pray, God, that as we stand by your power and by your strength, and as we walk in the steps of Jesus, and as we run after him, that you remind us whose we are. We are his, and we are his witnesses. In your name we pray, together we say, amen and amen.